Welcome to another episode of the Jellyfish Current, where we talk about all things performance, marketing, and branding with exciting guests from the industry. I'm your host, Shamsul Chowdhury, EVP of Paid Social at Jellyfish. Today's topic, pitching ain't easy. An inside look into everything that goes into paid media pitching. I'm joined by Jellyfish's VP of Brand Strategy, Amy Crowther, as well as former Jelly and current co-founder and managing partner of We Are Rival, Jenna Cummings. Warm welcome to both of you. Before we jump in, let's start with some introductions, including how you got to where you are today. Amy, let's start with you. I've been in the industry about 15 years. I started out in market research back in the UK, one of those really annoying people asking you on the street if you really like chocolate bars or which laundry detergent you use. Um, And then moved to Australia and joined our friends at Densu Holding Company, uh, working across a bunch of different agencies, different clients in the media side of things, started in digital moved to full service and then doing a lot of pitching. So uh, clients and brands wanting to launch in the uh, Australian market and building out our capabilities across Asia as uh, Aegis Media at the time was bought by Densu. Um, one of my main clients there was federal government. So a lot of behavior change, um, all the fun stuff, getting people to stop drinking and smoking and speeding on the roads. Um, and then... Yeah, moved to New York about, it's almost six years ago now, coming up on, um, with IPG first off. So I was a global strategy lead there with Reprise. I worked across a couple of the different agencies. Global strategy, helping brands, you know, um, translate what is a, a global strategy and agenda down into local markets and local cultures with different consumer groups and building out uh, the strategy team and capability at Reprise, which at the time um, was predominantly performance media. And the past two years at Jellyfish, so building out our U.S. Uh, strategy practice, growing the team, uh, and a lot of pitching all the way through all of that has been a very regular occurrence um, and still is to today. A, a lot of pitching, so you make a perfect guess for this episode. A lot of pitching. <laughs> Hope so. Jenna, how about yourself? Oh, gosh. I started as a digital buyer, as a paid social buyer, actually, when that was still kind of, uh, yeah, I was going to say when that was in the early days of that, back in 2013, 2014, um, at an agency called VaynerMedia in New York. Um, and I got, I guess, pretty lucky because that was a really interesting time, inflection time in, in media and advertising where understanding the mechanisms of how digital media is bought and sold was an actual differentiator for talent at the time. Uh, and I was okay at it. I was pretty good at it. And then um, eventually with Vayner, went to go open their first international office in London and got put on a lot of pitches to kind of build and grow the team out there. I was one of the first first four people, you know, as, as part of the leadership team out there in London. Um, and so got put on all the pitches in EMEA because yeah, understanding, you know, what digital media is and how it works was a really big, big factor for us. Um, so I did that for three or four years, grew that team, um, along with some other people from about zero to 60 people in, in three years, mostly off the back of a lot of pitching. Then I went to Singapore, um, again, on the buying and activation side to work on the Google business. And one of the reasons that I didn't like that job actually was um, that I wasn't going out and pitching and winning new business because I really kind of like the the hunt. I like the win. I like the competitive kind of fire. Like nobody hates every other agency as much as I do in the middle of a pitch. 
And um, then, yeah, I had a really, really great two years at Jellyfish. I miss you guys all terribly. Um, like I say, we're at some of my best best memories of Jellyfish. We're working on some of our, our biggest pitches. Um, I really like it because you get to understand what clients are looking for, what the, you know what things they're worried about and really kind of what their priorities are um and so yeah i was in the foxhole with you guys for years jellyfish is our um uh lead for media strategy and planning out of new york so that was me yeah, we definitely do miss you in pitches i remember uh sharing pitch stories one of the, the coolest slash coldest photos that you showed me is you're like casually in a helicopter going from like a pitch to a party you're like oh i love that picture jenna so it's, it's a, yeah. Don't mean to embarrass you. We're not going to show it here. No, so don't worry, yeah, but. that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. It's a good photo. It's a good photo. One of the Gary. good moments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank, thank you both for your background. So, you know, jumping right into it, we're seeing that digital media has seen this influx in, of investment over the last decade and really seeing that it's projected to exceed about $600 billion this year and really bypassing the trillion dollar mark by 2030, uh, according to Statista. And with all this growth comes the growing pains with, with the advertisers seeking new partners who can help them realize what their aspirational growth plans are for the next three to five years. In 2015, we saw one of the biggest pitch seasons ever in recent memory with massive brands such as P&G, Volkswagen, Coca-Cola, L'Oreal, and several others all putting up their media business up for review. And with several other billions of managed media up for grabs, that summer was really dubbed Pitchapalooza. So before we jump into the whole pitch process, let's take a step back and discuss the initiation. And given the current state of the industry and the global economy as a whole, why do you think brands are looking for new partners? Amy, we'll start with you. Um, I think it's kind of a, you know, pitching does go in cycles, but um, it's been a long time since it's really slowed down and I don't think it's showing any signs of doing that still today. Um, it's, you know, with anything in, in the economy, it, it drives clients to want to make more efficiencies and streamline operations as much as they can, even though pitching can be a costly process on both sides of things. I think one thing that we're seeing is um, there are still your very thorough, lengthy heavily invested pitch processes that happen with some of the much larger brands. But on most of the things that we're working on, they're being run in-house through procurement teams or even the clients themselves trying to run really efficient reviews of their current partner roster and trying to either collapse some of those multiple agencies that are touching multiple things um, and revisit how their internal operations are working but definitely no signs of slowing at this moment in time <laughs> anyway, and by, by our agenda over the next few weeks. <laughs> Jenna, anything to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I obviously agree with Amy. We, we all, we all read the news. We see all the big brands moving stuff. I honestly think that the essence Mediacom merger was largely just to avoid a mass exodus of Mediacom clients and avoid having to repitch for all of those things. I really think that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think uh, that really kind of the driving force behind it is the crazy amount of change in what constitutes 
best in class core capabilities and even what core capabilities should be for agencies. I was reflecting on this, um, you know, over the past like, couple of weeks, actually, um, you know, working with with you know one of my business partners who's a who's a, a brand planner background as well, and you know, Amy, no shade whatsoever, not at all to say that you know the brand planning discipline hasn't grown and developed and advanced, but the capabilities that like I need to be good at my job on the media and distribution side of things have almost zero resemblance to the skills and capabilities that I needed to be good at my job mm-hmm. seven years ago in terms of understanding how to bring automation and machine learning, even the level of coding literacy that I you know, realistically should be required to have in this job is so different. And um, no matter how big agencies or institutions, you know, try their best and do their best to keep up with learning and new skills, that constant kind of disruption is, I think, always going to be driving this need for people need to seek out new agencies and new skills and capabilities because like r- retail media, Amazon, I don't know how many, I don't know how many billions or what large percentage of digital media Amazon controls these days, but they didn't control any of that less than five years ago. That is an insane amount of change. And I don't think that, like I say, that I don't think we're going to see the pitch process let up anytime soon, mm-hmm. simply because of what the reality of our, you know, what the marketing landscape looks like, honestly. Uh, agreed. And, and because pitching isn't going away, is there anything that agencies can do to mitigate the risk of advertisers seeking potential new partners or is, is change inevitable? What's that? What's that like a, the gamer line? Get good, son. Like, yeah, to be good, <laughs> like, be good yeah, get good. I, like, get good. I, um, yeah, like, you know, like I said, when I think about, you know, when I started my career in 2014, Vayner, Vayner's bread and butter was trash talking how poorly the holding companies invested in the upskilling of their buying teams, that everybody was still trying to buy digital. Like it was TV in these block GRP CPM, you know, style buys. You, you remember Shamsul actually when you could buy Facebook on GRPs. Of you remember course. that? Yes. Those ratings <laughs> points. <laughs> yes. Facebook had to do that to get right. whatever like old school dinosaur buyers at the holding companies to understand how to buy their media. Yeah. Um, you know, when it was like the golden age of Facebook and all these things. Um, I, I definitely think like I say, a lot of it is, uh, and I, and I think that, you know, jellyfish is very good at this, you know, given how well and how talented the, the learning and development teams at jellyfish are of the, you have to keep up, you have to be good. You have to be good. And that the best and kind of most longstanding relationships I think have been with the agencies that do those types of things and keep up with it. Um, but otherwise I do kind of view it as like how you know, I view like, and I think many people view their personal jobs Probably, actually, maybe you should be leaving a company or or an organization every three to five to seven years, you know, to get exposure to new ideas and new skills and capabilities. Um, and I do think that kind of the standard these days is if you can get three years, if you can get three good years out of client engagement enough to recoup the pitch expenses and then make some profitability, that kind of feels like a win to me. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What, do, what, do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, just thinking about the breadth of capabilities that we, you know, we have at Jellyfish and how frequently we engage so many of them to, to that point where, I mean, I remember not even that long ago where you're trying to, you know, search was an afterthought on a, on a plan, not even on a pitch, like on an actual annual plan for a client where you're pushing to get social and search on there. Um, and now we, you know, we, we're in a media pitch, but we're talking MMM, CRM, UX, analytics, really sophisticated, 
you know, even some planning functions and data and, you know, in-housing that we do as well. Like everything is being touched, like the whole marketing ecosystem. Now it's no longer just about the media pitch and here's the budget, show me the plan and the strategy and, and agree, Jenna, you know what, from a strategy perspective, that is a fundamental part of it, but hasn't shifted, uh, you know, anywhere near as much as, as the rest of the, the pieces have. Um, but yeah, agree. You just got to keep pivoting. I think constantly that's, you know, that is one thing that I, I love about pitching and continue to do it is that every time you have the opportunity to do something a bit different and push something that didn't work, try something new. And I think that keeps you, you know, with a competitive edge to an extent. And you do need that external point of view as well of what other agencies are doing, not even just other agencies, other technology partners, data partners, our publishers, everybody, because you know, there's only so much of, of the pie to go around. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think the, the competition landscape has changed before, right? You didn't have these mm -hmm. consulting firms now and media pitches, and you got, you know, these certain agencies that specialize in Amazon only. So if you're talking to a retail client, it's not just the hold codes and the indies. You've got, you know, a super indie that just, hey, we're good at one thing and we're really, really good at it. That's the only thing we do. So the competition landscape has kind of uh, increased quite, quite significantly. So seeing that pitches are inevitable, how does the pitch process start, right? Like everyone asks, like, how did this land on my desk? Jenna, you wanna take that one? Sure. Uh, well, obviously it starts on the brand side. I mean, this is clearly, you know, senior senior marketing teams will kind of decide like, hey, look, you know, uh, it's not always like a foregone conclusion that they're gonna, you know, move away from their agency. But I do think that, you know, once it kind of gets to, um, you know, to the point where it's, a pitch has been decided, I don't think it's good for the incumbent, generally speaking. Um, so usually it's kind of, a, you know, marketing teams will sit down internally and say, all right, what actually are our needs? Uh, ideally, they'll have some sense of where they want their business to be in, you know, three, four, five years about like, you know, some sense of what the problems that they're currently facing and then to get an idea of what types of partners that they want to work with. From then, from that point on, it usually goes one of two ways. Um, a lot of places will engage, um, you know, a search firm or an intermediary. Actually, there are, like I say, consult, you know, small consultancies that deal enti you know, entirely with the pitch process. Um, I do think that they definitely can add value. Some of them, um, frankly, engage in a pay-to-play model where you kind of have to pay fees and, and whatever to be included in pitches that those intermediaries run. That's crummy, and I think it's not a value add for anybody, and I don't think that those people should be in business. But some actually do legitimately say, all right, this is, you know, they educate marketing teams on this is how to write a good brief. And I think that that's a, a great value add of like, all right, you know, here's how you should set up this process. Here's how you should evaluate these people. Here's the types of things to sort of look for. Because I don't think that, you know, just working with agencies a lot or being a qualified and, and very talented marketer necessarily means that you're talented at selecting an agency. You know, it's a different, it's a different set of skills to, to, to do these kinds of big contracts. Um, so then from there, like I said, they'll kind of go for like a long list, uh, a little bit of agencies, like a very, like who generally are we considering? And then they'll kind of pare it down a little bit over several rounds of deliverables and a couple other things towards who's the short list, move into things like chemistry sessions, probably again, some more tighter and specific briefs that they want scenario answers back on and a few other things. Uh, and then actually go to a selection process that usually also comes down to price negotiations, who knows who, what relationships do people have? 
that and all those kinds of things. So that's usually usually how it goes generally, but it can be anywhere from a couple weeks. We've seen a couple week turnarounds on SimPitch to uh, you know six plus months on some of these things for the big big contracts, the Coca Colas, the McDonalds, the Nikes of the world. You know those take a long time because one hundred and fifty million dollar contracts and people and all these things take a long time to organize and 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 all those types of things. So yeah. Throughout those phases where you've got like the RFI, right? Just trying to understand what this agency is all about. And you've got the RFP, which has that list of questions, sometimes a brief. You know, we, we get a lot of these RFPs. Are you guys seeing sort of some of like the, the pressing questions that clients are asking? Any buzzwords or hot topics that, that seem to sort of always pop up? Yeah, at the moment, um, e-retail, e-com is massively, you know, in everything, even if it is a, a purely... Um, you know, just paid media RFP that we're getting. I think all seeing a bit more of a delineation between like really using the RFI process versus RFP. So request for information versus request for proposal, which I I really like. I think, you know, you can understand a lot from a, a large, you know, list of agencies that you've got in that mid to long list of opportunities. Um, so we get a lot of, you know, even meeting presentations or tissue sessions or chem sessions, whatever you want to call them, um, with clients or, you know, a creds presentation, a team structure presentation, even talking about some commercials and some of them all in that early quick fire round RFI part of it. Um, but in all of that, it is all about, um, yeah, a lot of e-retail and just like omni-channel planning, which is, is not anything new, but I think just the the complexity of the marketing ecosystem. And, and as Jenna was saying before, how much it's changed. It's it's really, you know, what, what clients are looking for in this is they are looking for efficiencies. They're also looking for simplicity and an agency partner that can make sense of all of it for them and really, you know, make it easy to navigate. And they've got their objectives. They know what they want their brand to achieve. They want a partner that can cut through all of the different aspects of, you know, everything, everything being siloed and make sense of it for them, um, which you can often do in a, in an RFI process almost by really understanding an agency's capabilities and where, you know, case studies, uh, even references from other clients as well and, and feel comfortable that before you move into formal process of a proposal, you get a really good understanding, I think, of an agency's capabilities there. I love it. Sometimes that they're called tissue sessions. I know. Is, is, it's like, is the implication <laughs> that you're supposed to cry during I, them? I think that's so. what, what, is that like, yeah. Just get real emotional I, I always, together. I, I, don't I, know. I always leave, I always leave them crying. So they, it seems to be working. So yeah. Like, do you have to like, do you have to bring onions or like, do you have to learn how to cry and command for these? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. If it's just like you throw things and they fall around or can, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. I, yeah, it can be, uh, they can be good though. I think they can be, can be, can be useful. Yeah, for sure. So, so, yeah, referencing the, 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 the tissue sessions and the chemistry sessions, a lot of pitches, I think, sort of boil down to the casting, right? Do you have the right person in the room? And, you know, with Amy, you mentioned before, right? It's not just, uh, oh, we're only talking search. It's, it's so many other capabilities that are involved. And even if it's just a search pitch, right? How do you look at website design and UX and CRO and analytics and all the things that go into it? How do you sort of define or d- determine who's the right person to be in that room? Yeah, it's um, it is. It's a it's a challenge. I think 
I think that's it's one of the areas where you know experienced and and senior talent um, play such an instrumental role in it. And I think you you do need people that can you need people that know the discipline really well and can if you've got someone on that call client side who know you know is going to ask those pointed questions, be ready to to answer that and go toe to toe. But you need that level of um, comfort to be able to flex across everything really even you know in, in in some search and social pitches that you and i have been on um they can throw in oh you i see you also do that or you mentioned that in that case study can you talk to me a little bit about your market research offering or your analytics and be ready to know that stuff and really and, and sell it in that moment um so i think it is a it's a fine balance between you know you want that uh, clients always want to see their day-to-day team which is tough as well because you do want to show them that, but they're not always the people best equipped to answer those types of questions on on the fly. And really, you know, they're usually heads down on another account waiting for us to win the business and be pulled over. That's the reality of it. Um, so you need that mix of uh, of those skills, and I think it's usually a you know getting the right culture of you know if it's a if it's a beauty brand, if it's a FMCG, if it's, you know, B2B, there's a, there's a tone. So you want the casting to reflect that. Um, and then that balance of selling real expertise and experience of, you know, your agency and the people, you know, you get, you can really clearly communicate your ethos and culture and then the expertise of the discipline that you're there to pitch, I think is the, is the balance to strike. Makes sense. And we're seeing some semblance of a return to normalcy. And how has it been pitching virtually versus in person? Do you guys have a preference? Oh, my God, in person. Oh, my God, in person. I hate pitching virtually. It's not going to go away. So I should really just shut up about it and and deal with it. (laughs) But I hate it. You know, to Amy's point about, um, you know, how important like casting is. Uh, and, and she got the, I think the, you know, the core attention correct, which is that, yeah, clients always want to meet their day-to-day team, but the day-to-day team is not always the best position to, you know, explain or articulate like the value position because in many cases they're individual specialists and they're being hired to do, you know, an individually special job. Um, and that kind of information, like very, like oftentimes is not, I don't, I don't know what the, the nice way to say it's not, it's not necessarily as engaging. If you yourself are not a specialist in that particular discipline, it's much harder to engage. Humans are inherently in-person communicative people. The vast majority of our communication comes from nonverbal communication in our body language and our presence and our tone, all these types of things. And not having those things in person absolutely sucks. I hate it. I like, again, it's, it's not going to go away, but I so much rather be in person, meet somebody, have a connection, like understand kind of like what, what it is that they want. It's not always practical, but I, I don't know. I'm really, I'm really on the in-person side of things. I feel like I, I feel like a boomer sometimes when I say that, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm with the boomer. I'm with the boomers on this one. I'm with the boomers. Score one for the boomers. Amy, what about you? Your team yeah. boomer? Or? Okay. No, I think, I think somewhere in the middle. I, I do agree. I think we would have, um, being forced to be virtual the last couple of years. I think we've lost things that had we been in person, we might have won. Um, and I I think from a I try to straddle both sides of it. I think from our agency perspective and the the volume like the, the scale and the growth that we've had, um, it's much more efficient to be virtual because we can we don't have to fly 
to Portland, to Chicago, you know, all the places and be there. <clears throat> and especially us being so global, you know, there's, there's obviously expenses around that. And I think we can be, um, it's much, we can do a lot more with the resources we have in a pitching sense as an agency. But I agree with Jenna, I think for the actual, definitely for later stages of a process, you have to, you have to meet in person. And I think, um, there is, there's always a, an evaluation criteria as part of a pitch and culture is often on there, but it is that, you know, when you walk into or out of a room with a client, if it's something that's going to work as a relationship and you totally miss that um, over the last couple of years. And I think things have not gone our way because of that reason. Yeah, there's, there's definitely none of that extra conversation as a pitch ends because you're not in the meeting room together. It's okay, everyone hang up on Hangouts or Zoom and that's it, right? You don't have yeah. those after meeting conversations that could, you know, make or break a, uh, you know, potential opportunity. So, yeah. And clients just being silent <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, you know, no, those whole, are always whole fun. thing being silent <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't keep, yeah. Hey, do you want to say something? Or like, ask a question. <laughs> you can't, it's quite aggressive over a, a, a rectangle, but um, right, in person, right. I think you can be a little bit more, you know, engaging with them. Um, it's tough. Yeah, Nothing makes me feel less funny or more willing to like crawl into a hole when you tell a joke on a pitch or in a remote <laughs> meeting and it's just silence. All right, well, I'm never going to open my mouth ever again. Thank okay. you. This has been great. Yeah, drink it off. Bye. <laughs> Internet connection lost. There you go. We um, seem to have lost Jenna. Yeah. <laughs> So just kind of looking ahead, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about brands or there has been a lot of brands that have used the best of breed agencies for certain services. So many, many years ago, uh, when I was working on paid search for Coca-Cola, they used AKQA for their paid search, iCrossing for SEO, Spark Foundry for TV and planning, and a whole slew of other agencies for creative often really having a decentralized pro decentralized approach by letting each brand select who they want to work with from a creative standpoint. Given everything that's going on in the economy, do you think there's going to be some sort of forced contraction based on the economic climate for brands to consolidate the agencies they work with? And if so, what will that mean for smaller agencies who only focus on one discipline? Yeah, I think this, this specialism, the age of the specialty agency, I think, is kind of over, and I honestly think it should be. Um, and and like I said, you know, sh you know, I, I was like you, like I said, you know, in, in the early days when I was at Vayner, they pretty much only did paid social for a couple of years. Like, kind of, that's what I started with, and they were very often that kind of like we got brought in to do the, the paid social kind of deal because, as we've discussed, Mediacom wouldn't be able to find like you know the bulk upload sheet with a compass and a map kind of deal on like digital digital buys for these types of things. Um, but now I think that the, the, the widespread, uh, like fairly widespread level of base competency across digital media, uh, extends to things that are concepts where it's like, you know what? Okay. Yes. Like Amazon is like a new, like in retail media is new, but functionally it exists as biddable media, right? Like it, it has many of the same mechanisms and many of the same buying practices that paid search have. Um, obviously there needs to be some degree of upskilling on the particular nuances of the platform and kind of these other types of things. But generally speaking, I would 
trust and I would expect a biddable media professional to be able to pick up Amazon with a set amount of time. And I think it's the same for the specialty agencies. There are so few things that are, you know, niche and have no other like, you know, parallel sort of skill or whatever else like in digital media where now things like, okay, well, we do your mark, we do your email automation. You can't just be an email automation agency. You need to be able to do like a general CRM system setup or like other like automation, like functions and all these types of things where you may have one core skill, but you need to be able to extend that core skill across the platforms and the places where it is. And I don't think that agencies are going to, or excuse me, that brands are going to continue to buy that little mixed up like agency model. Do you know how much time and hassle it is to manage even one agency, let alone if you got to have four? Mm-hmm. No way. It's inefficient. It doesn't, it doesn't yield the best results. As we've already talked about, there's so much more understanding of how interconnected all aspects of marketing are, where the, you know, the, the performance of your UX is as important as the performance of your biddable and your tagging and all these types of things. Um, and so, you know, one, definitely there's a contraction from a procurement perspective of I'm not paying four different agency fees if I can get away with paying one. But on a practical level, I don't, I think that that model is kind of a, all right, we were in a weird period of time again when nobody knew how to buy PPC now, what, 60% of the industry does? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm down on the specialist model these days. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, I think it's an interesting one. It's been, it's a pendulum thing, right? It's always, always back and forth of, we go from, you know, I think maybe like eight, 10 years ago, it was very specialist, all different independent agencies, as Jenna said, and email agency, CRM, PPC, um, and then your media agency and then various different content, creative, editorial, PR, everything broken apart. And then it, it swings into let's consolidate everything, one agency to rule them all and do everything. And then it starts to break apart again. Um, as, as things advance, things start, then you get the little specialisms and it, and it breaks apart. And I think what's interesting that we're definitely going through a consolidation phase right now. We've just kind of the last last year, I think we've we started to enter into that where things are coming together. Um, and it will be interesting if if we do swing back into a specialism place again, because as as Jenna was saying, like the this integration and you know the fact that you can now buy TV in somewhat of a biddable sense as well, and you have you know so many things are converging in the way that you interact with them and buy and plan and execute. Um, is there still or will there still be that need for that specialism craft to be broken apart or have we kind of exhausted that in you'll still need it in creative strategy, planning, you know, um, expertise across different platforms, performance in terms of a measurement and analytics. But beyond that is everything else. Generally, those skills can be applied to a broad range of things um, or will we you know, catapult into a whole new AI-driven machine learning thing that then we need experts in that to start to understand, and then we'll go specialist again. So it's, it's going to hey, be interesting. You're, 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 you're jumping ahead to the next segment, which is the, <laughs> the, the, looking into the future, but we'll get into that. So it's a great point. But before jumping into that, the, the title of this episode is Pitching Ain't Easy, and Pitching Ain't Cheap either, right? Like the three of us have been in numerous pitches, which as a side note, have been some of my favorite work experiences. And, you know, Amy, you and I were having dinner one night after a pitch and we sort of did some back of the napkin math and we kind of guesstimated that this co- this pitch alone costs about $300,000. It's obviously an expense an agency has to incur to the cost of doing business. But do you ever think there's going to be a point where, you know, agencies are going to go into a pitch knowing that an advertiser will pay for it, if not the entire thing, at least willing to go Dutch? 
who was, Amy, you might remember this. There was some agency CEO of, I, it wasn't Reprise. I know that I'm just thinking of Reprise. Look at you. There was some agency CEO a couple of years back who had did, who, who did some like, pledged to be better and he wanted advertisers yeah. to like publicly shame bad Matt, RFPs. It was and, like, Matt Baxter, um, yes. CEO of Initiative. It was, yeah, it was, it was like ban the pitch or something like that, which was a, it was a call to arms of if you get a shitty procurement um, RFP under like horrendous terms, just say no and sort of publish it and hold the client accountable, I think was the intent. Yeah, and I don't think it gathered any steam did because I feel like, <laughs> I so. like maybe I don't think that like maybe like threatening to publicly flame your potential customers is necessarily like yeah, a, it's not, I really, not a good strategy. Yeah, I really admire you know I really admire like his like the idea and kind of like the effort behind it because again as we said they're really expensive and so many term sheets are terrible. I have absolutely heard procurement people at major large companies say you can't make any money off my business. That is ridiculous. Do you mm. understand how capitalism works, my man? <laughs> this is not a charity. Like we are here to make a margin on your business, anyways. Um, and so I, 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 like I said, I do think that there should be something, and I, you know, I certainly hope that um, you know, uh, this, like you know, the holding companies that, that really, like say, like they're the ones that have the most weight and the clout in these types of things, maybe do move towards a model of we will not agree to these ridiculous payment terms of like Budweiser and whoever saying 120 day like net payment terms or like the other kinds of very I think abusive things that companies put in their pitches or their contract terms, but realistically, it's not really going to change. Um, yeah. I, mm. Like, like I say, people should, should be able to say no to some of these things. I also, I like develop kind of mixed feelings on the, like, should they be paid for work? Because then I think that the expectation of being paid for the pitch means that you then, that the, that the brand owns the ideas that were, that were pitched. And it's well, definitely so, sometimes, happened. sometimes they they use anyway. it even, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that yeah. whole thing with, with, with the Martin agency, right? I forget which uh, one of those Bitcoin or one of those the Coinbase, the Coinbase, Coinbase work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Coinbase Super Bowl. work. Yeah. Like, yeah, right, yeah. They didn't get paid for that. Um, so. And yeah, but, and, but, but you have recourse at that point. Like for, again, I don't know if it's a good idea to, to go around potentially suing your potential clients and customers, but like you do, you have some recourse. And I definitely, um, I certainly probably wouldn't want it to be a codified or expected standard that if a brand pays for the work as part of the pitch, well, then they can just, you know, go with whoever and, and take your work because now when it happens, it's kind of a fluke and it becomes a weird Twitter shitstorm or you know, whatever, whatever will, will, will replace Twitter after Elon's done burning it to the ground. So, yeah. He's rebuilding yeah. it, not burning it down. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> not, that's not what's burning it down first. No. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. All right. So, so jumping into my favorite part of the episode is just kind of looking into our, um, you know, magic crystal ball and trying to predict the future. Uh, in 2018, JP Morgan hired VaynerMedia as their agency of record for voice. Yeah, that didn't really materialize as much as we thought it would have. Um, what do you predict will be a strange RFP brands uh, submit for in 2023? I remember, I remember that at Vayner when the, when we got that scope. Gary was hyped. Gary was so was so excited about that. Um, I I don't know. I um. Are, are I we going to see a met- metaverse RFP? Oh, that's definitely already happened, hasn't it? I'm sure it has. Ha- has it? Oh, I'm sure. 
It's that it was such a that was such that ugh, that was like my most hated word of 2021 <laughs> and 2022. Something like algorithm, honestly. Um, but no, I'm sure that that's definitely. A, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. Um, or you know, Web three agency. I'm sure that that will be a thing. Um, but I do think more practically, actually, that like an automation agency, um, like RFP. Where it was like, you know, what's the stat that like only, you know, maybe only five to 10% of the functions across all industries that can be automated have been. And that like, that's been such a, a necessary element for success in what constitutes sophistication of digital marketing or really any marketing operation these days is how well does your automation function. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of see that maybe being like a, a, a thing that like people are like, like hey, like we're going to come in and like we're going to set your systems and your tech and your operations up and automate it really well um, where you see like consulting projects like that. But I definitely see that being maybe like an RFP generally area, but definitely metaverse. You're right. You're right, Sham. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's already, it's usually always seated in, if not informal RFPs, it's a question that comes okay. up at yeah. some point. De- def- definitely a question. I, I just haven't it's seen a, a metaverse RFP. I'm sure that's not too. I'm far. sure Vader's got it. I'm sure. I'll text Gary. Gary, have you? I am one hundred percent sure. How many metaverse working on? Yeah, they have definitely got that. The, 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 the metaverse agency of record for Blockbuster. That's a uh, that's a good one. <laughs> cool. And then the very last question, because I think it's super relevant to to us three. Uh, we probably have a combined ten thousand hours of pitching. That's conservatively. Um, you know, Forbes published an article in September of this year stating that the pitch process is antiquated and it needs to be sunsetted. They proposed ideas such as chemistry sessions versus formal presentations. So my question to you is, A, will this ever happen? And B, if so, which notable brand do you think will be the pioneer for this change? I I think it will. I, I think it is already in pockets happening. I don't think it will be across the board, but... Um, we already see, I'm a huge fan of the just run a test for us and do this and show. I think that's a great approach. Um, and we've done that. I've done that at multiple different agencies for some big brands and small alike where, you know, even carving out the money that they would spend with a pitch consultant on running it. If they divvied up right. that budget between two or three agencies and got them to run media or do strategy or invest in something for them and show how they work meet the team that they're going to be working with day in, day out. I think that overcomes a lot of the pitching challenges and the risk associated with it. Um, so I hope that will happen more. Um, I don't know that we'll ever get away from the full RFP approach, honestly. It's, um, I think some, there's always, you know, the triggers of new client coming on board, bringing in old relationships, wanting to mix things up. This, again, like consolidation and specialism that swings um, and happens and then just, you know, calls for efficiency and bringing things together. Um, there's always going to be room for it. And that's kind of a good thing in some ways, because I know we all really enjoy it <laughs> when we win anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you had to venture a guess or a brain that'd be willing to be the pioneers, hey, we didn't do a pitch. We just had a chemistry session or a series of chemistry sessions. Who, who do you think is that brand that sort of is a trailblazer in that department? I think... Um, Pioneering change in process like that is usually the bigger brands. So I know with um, things like Diageo, we did a few tests with uh, P&G. It's those, it's, it's those types of brands, Unilever as well. But 
those brands, I mean, don't they have, they have like a farm team system. It feels like with their agencies, you know, like they do, right. Like, you know, a lot of them for certain services, again, the big agencies will have, you know, 95% of the global locked up in the core contract. And then there'll be some random orphan brands or, you know, acquisition brands in some markets that do not have to like abide by that. And the normal indies will kind of get their chance and then it's, you kind of got to work your way up the system kind of deal. And then you get included with the big boys on the big, on the big rosters. Again, that's how Vayner hundred percent like made their business. That's how they, like they went from, voice AOR to chase to actually being digital media AOR for, you know, after a little while, like those, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that it's kind of, you know, what Amy's point was about like, well, that's like a test again. That's like, you know, you give somebody a couple like at bats of the smaller things and then go from there. Um, but I, I don't think that we're ever going to get away from it. I also, I read this Forbes article and they were like, well, what if we do like chemistry sessions or we do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, haven't you just described a pitch process? All of these things are. And because I was like very confused about like, so do you, how is this different? Yeah. Like, what is the, what are you exactly proposing? Um, And I, like, I just, I don't, I don't think that we'll ever get away from it again, obviously like, you know, for the really, really big brands, the Unilever's, the P&G's, the Diageo's or whatever, we're talking about billions of dollars under management, like billions, right? Like larger than some hedge funds. Like that's really wild to think about essentially that the people that run those big pieces of business and agencies have billions of assets under management, like underneath them. And that kind of money is always going to require a fairly significant and fairly rigorous process as to how it should be awarded and apportioned across these types of things. And I don't think that we're ever going to get away from a process for that, nor should we. It, there probably should be a ton of scrutiny around what we do with a billion dollars, probably, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, yeah. But I think that level below those bigger brands, then you, it's, the risk starts to come into it of not running it, you know, like a, a thorough process. So those obscure brands or smaller markets where you can test and you know some the clients have control out of it that's that is where you see some change in these types of processes exactly that vein one with chase of whoever it was in that client's like we're going to do a voice rfp like awesome then growing that into into more of a digital media um aor is is kind of the way that change it, it is the it's the obscure pieces of larger clients where this happens where there is less risk for some of the smaller ones who just have to run it the way everybody else does which is why you should hate every other agency that comes on to do some little <laughs> tiny small thing and you should be terrible. No, you should be good. You should be good members of the sandbox, but you should be very competitive and hate them on principle. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So we, we've talked uh, at you know, quite length about the pitch process. It can be equal parts stressful and exciting. Uh, for those of you who have watched Mad Men, that iconic scene where Don Draper comes into the office on a weekend and gets to work on the American Airlines pitch, and you know something we can all relate to: the the long hours, the working weekends, pitch rehearsals, traveling, and mediocre airport food galore. Uh, these are all staples of the pitch process. And will the process ever change? That remains to be seen. But until then, I'm sure we'll continue to rack up those frequent flyer miles and those hotel points. From myself and Jellyfish, thank you, Amy and Jenna, for joining, and to you for tuning in. I'm Shamsul Chowdhury signing off from New York. Be sure to tune in to our next episode featuring Tom Roach and uh, Grace Kite when we talk about the the econometrics of marketing. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform you use to stay updated with the latest episodes. 
and please feel free to leave a review. If you have any questions or feedback, send us an email at thecurrent@jellyfish.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Jellyfish Current is produced by the editorial and production teams at Jellyfish. Want to learn more about our organization? Visit us at jellyfish.com. Thanks and see you on the next episode.